0: If I met teenage or college-age Scott, if I went back in a time machine and I met that guy, I'm not sure how much I would like him. (laughs) My wife and I married a couple years, and we had dinner with a friend of mine that I had known when I was in college. And over that meal, she said, I think I copied it down verbatim this week. She said these words, If you had met Scott when I did you wouldn't have been his friend, much less his wife. <laughs> you know, those are words you love to hear. It's just warm the heart. And as we continued that conversation over dinner that night, it became clear as we dug into the, the story behind those comments that two things were true about me in that era of my life. I was arrogant, and I was judgmental. And... Some of that came from a confidence level that moved into arrogance and pride. And some of that came from the fact that I had some very strong convictions that I thought made me better than other people who didn't share those same convictions. I built in some ways a platform that enabled me to look down on people who didn't agree with me. And I'm grateful that over the next few years, God humbled me. Someone once said that uh, God's plan A is for you to humble yourself and his plan B is to humble you. I kind of experienced plan B. And a number of experiences broke that spirit of arrogance and judgmentalism and opened me up in some areas that I had been far from teachable and far from humble. And I say, Scott, why begin This message today with that kind of confession. Because for the last few weeks, we've been in a series about our relationships. We've been talking about the fact that many of us need to hit the reset button in our relationships because they've gotten to a place where they're unhealthy or they've gotten to a place where they're not centered on Christ. And the thing we've been talking about all throughout this season is in the same way that if you're gonna go to somebody's house this week for Thanksgiving, and you're going to have a meal there, you're probably going to bring something with you. You're going to contribute something to that meal. Each of us makes a contribution to the relationships that we're in. And, and the thing that a lot of us struggle with is that we don't control the other people in our relationships. You can try to control them, and let me know how that goes for you. But the one thing we can control is what we contribute, what we bring and what I discovered in that season in my life when I was on that checklist of arrogance and judgmentalism is what I was contributing wasn't leading those relationships to a place of health. And I want to talk to us today as we move into this next section of Romans 12, 13, and 14 about what we contribute, because I think Romans 14 is maybe one of the most needed passages in the world and the church today. I think it's one of the most relevant passages, and as when I was thinking about where do we locate this conversation about relationships, Romans 12, 13, and 14 came to mind in part because of Romans 14. So today's title of this message is Resetting Your Judgmentalism. Aren't you excited? <laughs> now I will tell you that I know many of us are going to travel this week, and we're going to go places, or we're going to have people here, and so many of you might, might be tempted to miss next Sunday. But in some ways, this message is the first part of a two-part message, because Romans 14 is one whole chunk, and I can't cover it all today. I can talk really fast, but even as fast as I can talk, I can't get it all in today. So when this message ends, it's going to be a little bit of a to-be-continued. It's going to be a little bit of of a cliffhanger where you're like, well, you didn't talk about this, and you forgot to mention that, and what about them? And yeah, all of that is, is next week. So I know everybody is at church or watches every Sunday. I just would encourage you, don't miss next Sunday because there are things I'm not going to be able to get to today. So, but with the time I have, I want to try to cover what I can. And, and we'll start with a big idea for today, which is this. It's easy to turn your personal convictions into contempt for another person. It is so, so, so easy to turn your personal convictions into contempt for another person. And I say this because I've lived it. I mentioned we're going to be in Romans 14 today. So if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to open up to the book of Romans. You've been camped out here in October and November, and we're starting the last chapter of this chunk we're dealing with, Romans 14. Now, again, Romans is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to the first century believers in the city of Rome. He didn't write this book with verse markings and chapter markings and headings, because you don't write an email or a letter like that. We added those later to help us be able to find and track these together. And so uh, I'm going to break this up into two pieces at kind of what seemed like the the most natural point, and we're going to spend our time today jumping through the first 12 verses. So if you would, would you stand as we honor God's word today. And if you don't have a Bible, feel free to follow along and watch the screen. Here's what Paul says. He says, Accept anyone who is weak in faith, but don't argue about disputed matters. One person believes he may eat anything, while one who is weak eats only vegetables. One who eats must not look down on the one who does not eat, and one who does not eat must not judge the one who does, because God has accepted him. Who are you to judge another man's household servant before his own Lord? He stands or falls, and he will stand because the Lord is able to make him stand. One person judges one day to be more important than another day. Someone else judges every day to be the same. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. Whoever observes the day observes it for the honor of the Lord. Whoever eats, eats for the Lord. And since he gives thanks to God, whoever and whoever does not eat... It is for the Lord that he does not eat and gives thanks to God. For no one lives for himself and no one dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, that we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and returned to life for this, that he might be Lord over both the dead and the living. But you, who you who do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me, and every tongue will give praise to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Heavenly Father, I pray that our hearts would be as open as your word. And I pray that even if there are some uncomfortable things that we need to hear today, I pray that we wouldn't resist you. I pray that we would be more like you, and I pray that we would hear you and follow you today. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Now, today, what we're going to do is a little bit different. I want to set up, because this message is going to kind of span a couple Sundays, the the content and the context of Paul's argument and give you some background to help you understand what may seem like some weird stuff that we just read together. Now, within the world of the church from the day of Paul to today, there's been a number of issues that might divide people. A number of topics that people might consider to be important and worth fighting over. And and across the centuries of the faith, believers have recognized that there are different levels of importance to matters. There are matters that are essentials, and then there are matters that are non-essentials. There are things that are essential to be a follower of Jesus that you have to believe them to believe in Jesus, or they're essentials that we have to be able to agree upon together to be able to do life and church together. But then there are a number of other issues that fall in this category of non-essentials. Now, notice I didn't say they're non-important. I didn't say that we don't have strong opinions about them. They're just non-essentials. And, and in the day of Paul, they were wrestling through some of these, which led to this discussion. There are a number of areas in Scripture where Scripture neither requires nor prohibits. There's a number of things Scripture does require us to do, like love your neighbor, like pray for those who persecute you, like give, pray, give thanks, follow God's will. There's requirements there are prohibiting of things. Don't gossip, don't slander, don't murder, don't lie. But then there's a number of things that that it's not explicit that it's required, and it's not explicit that it's prohibited. So what do you do with those things? And many of those things end up in that category of non-essentials. And here in Romans 14, they're wrestling with three non-essential issues. The first one is there's a group of people who are eating meat that was sacrificed to idols. In the day of, of Paul in Rome, most of the meat on the market could be traced back to uh, a, an idol sacrifice in a temple. And there wasn't like a, a label on there. Like you might go to the, the, the uh, butcher and have USDA Prime or USDA Choice or, or turkey, or this chicken came from this factory. No, no, there wasn't labels like that. So you didn't know where the meat came from. And so there were some who said, yeah, we have no problem eating any meat, no matter where it came from. And then there were others who said, I'm going to avoid all meat. I'm only going to eat vegetables because I don't want to risk eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols. And they were divided over this. There's another issue, and that issue is that there were some who observed holy days. All of the Jewish festivals Passover, over, the, the, the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Weeks, the Sabbath, and they, they treated those days as holy and separate and to be guided by certain principles and guidelines. There were others who said, hey, every day is equal, And I'm not going to observe those days. That's part of the Judaism that I'm now a follower of Jesus, and I'm not taking that with me. And they were divided over that. And then later on in Romans 14, we're going to see that some were divided over drinking wine or not drinking wine. And again, I'm not going to to do this much because that's really next week's sermon. But those are the three issues that were dividing them. Those were their non-essential issues. Now, those three non-essential issues also involved two different groups. And group one was a group of mainly Jewish Christians. They had come to faith in Jesus, but they had been raised in Judaism. And and as they practiced their faith and looked at the world, they tended to be more strict. They tended to be more sensitive in terms of their conscience. And sometimes they could end up in legalism, believing that because they did all of the right things, they were better than others or God loved them more. There was another group who were primarily Gentile or non-Jewish Christians. They had become followers of Jesus after either having no faith or worshiping some other gods. And their, their faith was less strict. They had less sensitive consciences, and sometimes they could tend towards license where they said, hey, we're free to do anything, so we'll literally do anything. And sometimes that would lead them down a path of sin. And these two groups were struggling to navigate these non-essential issues in their church. Now, you might see yourself or somebody you know and love in one of those two categories. We don't typically see people today as Jews and Gentiles as much, but many of us still fall in these different categories. And the trouble was that those categories and those issues were cultivating some attitudes that Paul had to address in this letter. Because in their day and in our day, these kinds of issues often lead to contempt and judgmentalism. When somebody else has a different conviction or opinion or preference than you, the temptation is to look down on them with contempt, to believe you're better than them, and then to make a judgment about them, their faith, their character, because of the view that they hold. And the problem with contempt and judgmentalism, first off, is that they're anathema, and they are expressly prohibited in the teachings of Jesus. This is, these two topics are not non-essential issues. If you read the teachings of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus is clear that you are not to live with a contempt and judgmentalism about others. But the, the greater problem in some ways is that when we have those issues in our hearts today, they are like seeds planted in the ground that one day, grow into larger and more impactful things. And the attitudes of contempt and judgmentalism today will tomorrow produce division and distraction from the mission. See, if you have contempt and judgmentalism in your heart, and those take root over time, that will lead to a division in your relationship, and it will prevent you from working alongside that person because you think in some ways you're better than them, they're not committed, they lack character. And those subconscious attitudes, maybe unspoken attitudes, will keep you from following Christ, in the way that you could or should, and that's what was happening in the church in Rome, and that's why Paul devotes part of his letter to that. Now, you might say, Scott, I don't see us arguing about meat and vegetables today. I don't see us arguing about what days we celebrate. No, no, we have our own issues. Back in the day, when I was a kid, we had some issues. I can remember most Saturday nights, we would set out our clothes for Sunday morning. We would iron them because they were clothes that required ironing, we would wear our Sunday best to church. That was part of the tradition. And if you did practice that, you probably know that sometimes those who didn't wear their Sunday best got looked at with contempt and judgmentalism by those who did. Because if you dress nicer, that means you loved God more and he loves you more too. And those who didn't wear their Sunday best said, well, in the Old Testament, it says that the Lord looks at the heart, not the appearance. Jesus said, we're going to worship one day in spirit and in truth, not in ties and in skirts. When I was growing up, uh, I grew up in a family and a tradition that didn't drink alcohol. And in many times and places that meant looking down on those who did. That's part of what my arrogance and judgmentalism was in college. I thought that I was a better person because I didn't drink, and I thought my friends who did were not as good as Christians until I realized that Jesus made wine, and it was real wine. I had been taught that it wasn't real wine, which is a whole set of problems I had to deal with. We have our own versions now today. Should a Christian watch Harry Potter? Well, you know that's witchcraft and witches, and should we be thinking about those things? Or is it a powerful story of good versus evil with characters who fight for and sacrifice themselves for those they love? I've read all sixty-six books. I have not read a verse on Harry Potter. What about yoga? You can stretch, you can express your body, you can learn to be healthier, but, but can you do that without practicing Hinduism and aren't you worshiping another God? What about voting? It's who you vote for an essential of the faith? What about a vaccine? And let me be a little clear. Just because scripture neither requires nor prohibits something doesn't mean it's not important. And some of us get real sensitive, like I just did for the last two minutes talking about some issues, because you think I'm saying those issues are not important. I am not saying anything of the kind. I'm not saying they're not important. And I'm not saying that you may not have done your homework, scripture, prayer, counsel to form your opinion. What I am saying is that compared to the gospel and the mission of Jesus' church, they're not equally important. And so what we have to wrestle with is what the church in Rome had to wrestle with is what do you do with these non-essentials that you have strong and powerful convictions and consciences about, and how do you navigate them in such a way that it doesn't tear apart and wreck the unity of the church and create all this sideways energy where we never get around to the things that Jesus called us to do. And so today, in this text, We're going to look in a more pointed way at those who tend to get offended, tend to be more strict, tend to be more sensitive, and maybe even more legalistic. And so if that's you, you may feel like I'm coming for you today. And I'm only coming for you because Paul did. So I'm going to blame Paul. And if you're like, man, I'm off the hook. Well, next week's text... is more pointed to those who tend to offend, tend to be less sensitive, tend to be more focused on freedom, and maybe even abuse and misuse their freedom. So if you stretch back at any point this week, and you're looking at your friend who's kind of getting the business from me, you know, I just wait. I may come for you later. So in the time I have left, I want to go through four words regarding opinions and the offended. And here's the first one if you're taking notes. Don't despise or cultivate contempt for someone with a different conviction. Don't despise or in your heart cultivate contempt for someone with a different conviction. Here's what Paul says in Romans 14 verse 2. He says, One person believes he may eat anything. While one who is weak eats only vegetables. Now, some of you think this is a joke about vegetarians, that you must be weak if you're only eating vegetables. Now, when Paul uses the word weak, he's not talking about strength of character or body. He's talking about conscience, how sensitive their conscience is. One person believes he may eat anything, while another one who has a weak or sensitive conscience eats only vegetables because he doesn't want to be perceived as eating meat sacrificed to idols. Paul says, one who eats must not look down on one who does not eat. That's the contempt. And one who does not eat must not judge one who does because God has accepted him. And this is one of the reasons why, as a church, we've gone the way that we've gone. A couple weeks ago, we did a series called The Core, where we talked about our core values as a church. And one of those core values is that we value practicing unity in a divided world. We value doing everything we can to stay together because we know everything is trying to drive us apart. Here's how we define that. We say the church of Jesus is an expression of harmony, not uniformity. We don't agree on everything, and we never will. Even my wife and I don't agree on everything, and we decided to be as unified as you can get on this earth. Our mantra is in essentials, unity, and in non-essentials, liberty. We're recognizing those two categories. In all things, though, love. We leave space for respectful differences on secondary, that's non-essential issues, in a spirit of generous love, while courageously holding to convictions on the essentials of the Christian faith. And the reason, one of the reasons why we made this one of our values is Romans 14. So, so when I say don't look down on somebody with contempt, I'm not saying don't have convictions. But make sure your convictions are on the things that are essential. And one of the challenges is that contempt has just begun to pervade every corner of our society. And this is not one of those things where I can just say this is just a culture problem. The culture is just full of contempt. Friends, The church is filled with contempt today. In so many places over the last 18 to 24 months, I've watched fellow brothers and sisters look down on fellow brothers and sisters with contempt. As if they're better than them. Because of a conviction or a belief or a conscience or a preference or an opinion on a non-essential issue. Friends, I've read Galatians 5. Contempt is not a fruit of the Holy Spirit. But it is bearing fruit in every corner of our world. And it is one of the reasons why we are not on mission. It is one of the reasons why we're divided. In 2 Corinthians 5, in the Amplified Version... Paul wrote, from now on, we regard no one from a human point of view, according to worldly standards and values. Though we've known Christ from a human point of view, now we no longer know him in this way. And so what Paul is saying is, when you look at other people, whether they're followers of Jesus or they're not yet followers of Jesus, don't look at them the way the world does, with contempt based upon the values and standards of the world. This world says, if you don't agree with me, done, moving on. No, not the way of Jesus. And, and with the way of Jesus is that instead of contempt, be patient, which is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Because none of us have had the convictions we have today forever. I mean, what you believe today, you didn't always believe on every issue. Some of the convictions you have that you are passionate about, that you will pound the table about, if you were to go back in the time machine with me 10 to 20 years, you didn't have. So maybe you need to be patient with other people that they are on a journey too. And as Paul said in Romans 14, 4, accept those God accepts. If God accepts them with that opinion on that non-essential issue, on what ground do you have to not accept them? Unless you think you get to decide the standard of who gets accepted more than God. I'm not just coming for your toes today, I'm coming for your metatarsals too a little bit. See, when Jesus prayed his final prayer for us, this is what he prayed in John 17. He said, I am in them and you are in me so that they may be completely one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Our world is only going to know, according to Jesus, that the Father sent the Son and that the Father loves them if we can love one another even in the face of differences on non-essential issues. And that's why, first and foremost, we cannot despise or cultivate contempt for those who have different convictions. Number two, we've got to restrict judgment to a biblical standard. We've got to restrict judgment to a biblical standard. Now, I could spend a whole message on what I'm going to share with you over the next five minutes. According to Scripture, there is a, a biblical standard for judgment. And, and the first component of it is it's confined to an area of clear sin. So one of the reasons why Paul is writing this in Romans 14 is that these areas are not areas of clear sin. They're areas of non-essential conscience and judgment. And that's why judgment was so wrong in these areas. So it has to be confined to an area of clear sin. Number two, it has to be reserved for followers of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 5, there was a messed up moment. There was a son who was sleeping with his stepmother. That was wrong. But the church was doing nothing about it. And in 1 Corinthians 5, 12-13, Paul says, don't waste your time holding the world to the standard of God, but absolutely you have to do something about this in the body. You have to bring judgment and accountability there. Judgment is also experienced in Scripture as a double-edged sword. Jesus himself said in Matthew 7, "The, the standard by which you judge others with, you'll be judged. Which should cause all of us to pause. You're gonna cut them, guess what? That same way is gonna cut you. Will they have, have you ever? Will they struggle with, do you ever struggle with? That humility comes from that. According to scripture, judgment is to be done in private without gossip. Matthew 18, if someone has sinned, go to him privately. Not an open letter on Facebook not talking about people but talking to them. And friends, we tend to treat gossip as so much less of a sin in the eyes of God as murder or sexual immorality when according to God's eyes it's the same thing. And then finally, judgment is to be driven by a concern for reconciliation. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, you have been reconciled to God, therefore be ambassadors of reconciliation. It's not a concern to own or dominate someone. It's a concern to see them return to union and intimacy with God and union and intimacy with his body. And if judgment is done, in the right way, but for the wrong motivation, it's still wrong, because God cares not only about the ends, but also the means. He cares not only about your actions, but your heart. Again, I could spend a whole sermon here, but I got a couple more things I want to hit on today. Three, allow worship and thanksgiving to form and reform your conscience. You know, Thanksgiving is a word we often only use once a year and the effects show. In 1 Thessalonians 5, there's three things that we're told to do every day. To rejoice, to pray, and to give thanks. And here in Romans 14, Paul makes some interesting statements all of which I've underlined to draw your attention to. He says, "Whoever observes the day observes it for the honor of the Lord." And whoever eats, eats for the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. And whoever does not eat it is for the Lord. I missed that one. That he does not eat it, and he gives thanks to God. For none of us live for himself and no one dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. There is this repeated pattern over and over and over again that as we practice these consciences and opinions and convictions, we're doing it in the presence and in the view of God so that God can show us and shape us because we always see things through a limited point of view. The beginning of this series, we read what I think is the key verse for this entire section of Romans. Romans twelve two, Where Paul says, don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. None of us have the accurate view on everything in the world. If we did, there'd be no need for us to be renewed in our minds. And that's why we should always be able to remember the last time we said these three words. I was wrong. If you cannot remember the last time you uttered these three words, you've not been practicing Romans 12 too. Because you're not God. Newsflash. You don't have inerrant views on everything and it takes courage and security in your identity in Christ to change your mind one of the most gutsy things in the world is to say you know what I was wrong here and I'm going to try to get right here that's why those who can never admit they're wrong I don't think are courageous I think they're afraid Because admitting that you were wrong requires something, that you are holding so close to Jesus and you so know where you stand with Jesus that if you lose a little bit of popularity in the lives of others, guess what? You're good. Because you know where you stand with Jesus. This is what J.D. Greer says. He says, the longer you're in church, the more you start to like your opinions on everything. And think everyone else needs to live by your opinions. In fact, in your mind, these are not even opinions anymore. They're just the way things are. The way mature Christians see the world. Ouch. And friends, we have to allow God to form and reform our consciences so that we don't begin to treat our views as if they're on par with Scripture or maybe even above it. And then number four, trust those who you disagree with to the Lord. At the end of Romans 14, 1 through 12, Paul draws on a Greek word, that everyone who lived in the Greco-Roman world would have understood. He draws on the idea of a Greek or Roman tribunal. Everyone at some point had had something that either happened to them or happened to a friend end up in court. And he says, in the same way that you know this tribunal, this seat of the judge, you will one day stand before a judge. But it isn't a Greek or Roman tribunal. It's the judgment seat of Christ. It says you'll stand before your maker. And you'll stand before him and you'll be judged for what you've done and you haven't done. For what you said and you haven't said. And here's the thing. We will each stand before that judgment for ourselves. I'm not going to stand before it for what you've said and done, and you're not going to stand before it for what I have said and done. We're going to stand before God for ourselves. And in that moment, do you trust the Lord to accurately and fairly judge the person who disagrees with you? Do you trust that God's got this? And maybe not in your timing and maybe not in your manner or means, but do you trust that God will one day hold them to account for the places where they disagree with you? Because here's the rub. Many of us think we're a better judge today than the Lord will be one And isn't that what it comes down to? When somebody doesn't see it the same way as you? Isn't that why you find yourself so tempted into judgmentalism? Because you feel like you have to do something today. Because you're worried God won't one day. I I typed these words this week on my computer. And then I just kind of sat there for a second. It was one of those moments where I didn't realize what I was typing until I had typed it, and then I hit period, and I just. Because that was the guy that my friend said to my wife, if you'd met him then, you wouldn't have been his friend or married him. I absolutely believed I was a better judge than God. And that's why people didn't experience the love and grace of Jesus when they encountered me. And that's why if we're going to reset our relationships today, we have to reset our judgmentalism and trust those who disagree with us on non-essentials to God. So before we close today, I've got two final things for you. The first one is this. I want you to complete this sentence. Based upon God's work in my heart today, my next step is blank. I don't, I'm not doing the work for you this week. Because I don't want to try to guess what God's doing in your heart. Or how God might apply this message to your specific situation. I trust that God has been speaking and you can hear him and I want you to be courageous enough to write down what it is that he's telling you to do. So if you know what your next step is, I want you to write it down right now. What I've found in my imperfect following of Jesus is that Jesus rarely reveals another step when I haven't taken the step he's already showed me. And so this week, I got convicted by my own sermon. I hate it when that happens. (laughs) And so I had to bite my tongue and listen a lot better than I had been listening and not speak where I had been speaking so that I would show honor and not contempt. And then number two, don't miss next week. I'm serious. If you're like, this wasn't really for me this week, Scott, well, then next week is for you, so don't miss it. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that 2,000 years ago, you inspired Paul to write the words that a body of believers desperately needed. And I'm so grateful that 2,000 years later, you have ensured that those words not only remain available to us today, but they're still living and active today. Jesus, there's no room for pride or arrogance in any of us in light of where we've been and in light of who you are. Your love is something we haven't earned or deserve. Your grace is a free gift. And we stand on this ground level with every other person who's experienced your grace and your mercy and your love because at the foot of your cross we're all on the same ground. And our eyes all look to the same place, you, as the source of our hope. You aren't a past hope or a dead hope, Jesus. You are our living hope. You are what we unite around. You are the one we come together around. And it is you that makes us possible in all of our flaws and sins and differences to be one. And it's to you that we give thanks today. We pray that you'd give us the courage and the strength to follow through on what we just wrote down. And we pray that as we take our next step, you would reveal another, and you'd walk with us today. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.